0: It's Tuesday the 25th of October 2016. I am Robin Yellow and this is Tectasm episode 34 Nin 10 Inch. And with me again because nobody else is as fabulous as James Woodall.
1: Hello, hello, hello. I have to say I'm amazed that we're actually recording this show. At the time we say we record this show.
0: On a Tuesday at nine o'clock. It is Tuesday and it's nine o'clock. What's going on there? Well, this week, James, we're going to be taking a look at Nintendo's Switch gaming tablet. The internet goes dark. And why don't you get some joy mode in your life? We'll be judging these stories and some others to tell you if they are a tech-tasm, which is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something that exists only in somebody's mind. So without further drivel, let's get on with the show. James, Nintendo have released the Switch. And it's exactly what all the rumors said it would be. In short, it's a tablet-based game platform with detachable controllers that can dock at home and display games on your TV. Now, they had a three-minute video on YouTube which launched the product, which showed the um, Switch working in various different ways. They were playing The Legend of Zelda, Breath of of the wild are at home on the TV and then you kind of snap the tablet off the, the, the charger um and jump into you know onto your your moped and then go and see your mates and you snatch the two detachable controllers go on the side of the tablet which you can then play you know splatoon on your own Um, and then uh, you can take the two controllers off and hand one to your mate and one to you and play sort of two-player mode uh, at the same time very impressive did you see the video james i did i'm gonna get one but i have to say my reasons for getting one are slightly different
1: they have pre-announced the new mario game and that's where it's at Ah, which one was that? I've no idea. They haven't given it a title yet, but there was somebody playing a Mario game, and oh, that's me
0: sold. That's easy. Well, well, that's all you need, really, isn't it? But then I suppose, you know, Nintendo, they've got these characters, obviously Mario and Zelda. They've got these big characters, these big franchises that they keep rehashing over and over again. Is it good enough? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there you have it.
1: Why, why do you have to ask? No, okay, right. That that aside, I mean, Nintendo do make some really great first-party titles. That's I think that was the difference between them and, and uh, Sega, because Sonic was just a bit of a Me Too. So I think that the only thing that's really kept Nintendo alive is the fact that they've got some really fantastic first-party titles. The Switch, I don't think it'll be as groundbreaking as the Wii was, However, it's definitely a really fantastic differentiator between the powerhouses today, Xbox and Sony. And they do, they've kind of carved a little niche for themselves because most people are either Xbox or PlayStation. But. What, or PC, of course. Yeah, or PC. But if you think kind of 10, 15 years ago, it was Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo. But what Nintendo have done is, and if they get this right, because they did this with the Wii. There's space for the uh the switch to be alongside these other devices because they're not going to and horsepower. They're not even competing in that race. They're just focusing on playability and gaming.
0: Well, Nvidia have announced that the switch is powered by a Tegra processor. So you know it's going to have actually pound for pound or, or milliamp power per core is going to have a lot of power uh, on, on that little tablet. So while it's small, yeah. um, it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, but obviously a Tegra is a
1: mobile-optimized processor, whereas a PS4 and an Xbox don't need to worry about that because they're always plugged into a power supply. so um, yeah but
0: it is a modern new processor i don't know which tegra it is but it's going to be the latest model of course and the ps4 um graphics has been knocking around for a few years now hasn't it yeah it, it, it has but
1: the point is though nintendo are not competing in that in that race but they've got enough of a differentiator for them to not need to if you think back to when the n64 came out they were competing in that race you know, against the PlayStation and um actually I think that was just it was it, wasn't it? It was the PlayStation and the uh, because my Xbox wasn't the out then. S-
0: the Sega Saturn Oh the Saturn. Oh, oh and the Dreamcast, yeah. Okay. Oh Dreamcast. I think it was called the Saturn in the US, Dreamcast in the No, UK. no, no, they they were different things. Oh were they? Yeah. Oh, well well the Dreamcast oh really. So Green Dreamcast was a global brand, was it? Yeah
1: yeah it was. It was and it was oh. the it was their final the Saturn they rushed the Dreamcast because the Saturn didn't do very well. It was terrible. Um, but any, anyway... That serves them, right? I think Nintendo can turn their fortunes around with this because it's got enough interest about it. And the price point will be very attractive because there's not too much going on here. I think it's really interesting. If they can focus on the uh, cooperative play, I think they'll do really, really well.
0: But, I mean, you know, there, there was... Uh, in the video, he strapped... He uh, put the... the the controller, the hand controller, kind of splits into two and attaches to the side of the tablet when it's in sort of tablet mode. Yeah. Um, and then it showed them propping the tablet up on a little kickstand and taking the two halves of the controller of each side and then... One person each, you know, playing two player simultaneously. So they each had, you know, this tiny little controller with a a thumbstick and some buttons in their hand. And it, and I thought, I wonder if that breaks in two as well, so Mm -hmm. kids can play and then babies, and then before you know it, the thing just disappears into tiny pieces, a bit like Project Ara.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I think they. It's innovative. I want to see it. I mean. I hope they get that kind of clicking mechanism right, because that kind of stuff does wear out quite quickly. But, hey, maybe that's a bit too much for this episode.
0: Well, the switch is due in March 2017. That's all we know. Uh, you think it's going to be a hit, clearly, don't you, James? Well, it'll be a hit
1: in kind of my household. So,
0: uh, But let me, ask, let me just, before we finish this one, uh, let me just I've got two words to say to you. Well, actually, one word and one letter. We, you. Yeah, I had a Wii U, but I only used
1: it for my for Mario. And, um,
0: yeah, it just, it clearly wasn't finished when they, I mean, they really rushed it out. So, and it had this sort of confusing tablet mode, which didn't have any power in the tablet and it just kind of transmitted from the main game. Yeah, it had later. about a five or six meter
1: range, really. It wasn't, it wasn't particularly useful. Um, I mean, basically, what I used it for was playing on Mario, on my wife watch TV, and
0: on the tablety bit.
1: Yeah, on the tablety bit. I don't think I ever used it on the full screen. But oh, really, but I
0: only ever had Mario for it, and nothing else really interested me. You so, know, it's funny that they're doing this. When I recently, they did put that game out on Android, didn't they? Um, they didn't use. There's a Mario game
1: coming out on iOS in December,
0: called Super right. Mario Run. I would have thought that's where their future lies in in Android gaming, but I suppose nobody's really made any money doing it. Have they? It held such promise, Android and iOS gaming, but n- nobody really ever delivered a sort of killer title. No, but there's only probably
1: about five or six companies that are really kind of getting paid quite well for it, and it's all the people you'd expect, you know, EA, Ubisoft, and so forth. Um,
0: well, I don't uh, – you think this is not a tech-tasm. I, I don't think it's tech enough, so let's call that – Two times this is going to succeed. Okay, we've got a double story,
1: um, a BBC story, and uh, nameless Journo droid has written both. So that is love. His work that yeah, or hers. We're not sure. Or joyous. her, its work. Its work, love its work. Um, and uh, this is all about the cyber attack that happened over the weekend. I don't know if this affected you or not, but it did.
0: Yeah. But yeah.
1: basically, there's a um, a firm which handles DNS requests. And, you know, for our listener, DNS is effectively the address book of the Internet. And um, this service Dine was hit by a massive. And some people are saying it's the biggest ever distributed denial of service attack. And basically, a, a DDoS attack is where millions and millions of devices are hitting a service all at the same time. And the, the idea being you flood the service and it goes down under effectively its own steam. It can't cope with the volume of requests that are coming through. So, um, I mean, and unfortunately, Dyn provides the DNS service for many big names, including New York Times, PayPal, Pinterest, Tumblr, SoundCloud, Spotify, GitHub, Etsy, Twitter, Reddit, and then this goes on and on and on. And, um, I mean, this is just, it's a bit kind of, it's really annoying. Why do people do this? It really
0: Sounds like a single point of failure to me. Uh,
1: yes, yes. Well, it only affected supposedly the East Coast servers. But, of course, that was a knock-on effect.
0: Was that East Coast servers, what, of a one one of the cloud providers? Uh, the East Coast server, servers of Dyne which Uh, oh okay right right which okay fine
1: okay so if you were on the east coast doing a dns query then yeah so so but but the so the interesting thing is this one attack on a third party took down several high profile websites and not just websites but services you know like for example github going down would have affected many developers yes um so um twitter
0: would have affected many journalists yes exactly. because that's where they get all their news from guys I'm, i can officially tell you that all journalists get everything off twitter
1: yep yep that that's definitely fact um but <laughs> um but the thing with and i with, get all my insights off reddit so uh <laughs> well get so you just screwed either way right um well I'm, but the th- interesting thing about this is there was actually a second attack as well so the first one lasted um it doesn't really say how long Um, And then later on in the day on Friday, a second attack hit with the same tactics as the first. And um, I guess the problem that Dyn had, and this is what I read on a different article, was that it was because of the nature of the attacks, it was very hard to distinguish them from normal DNS queries. Yes. Um, Because what sometimes happens in DDoS attacks is they just attack layer two, layer three, kind of technologies, which are, I guess, internet sub-layers. And there are a lot of DDoS prevention mechanisms that work today that can filter those out. so They can kind of detect the patterns and and move them away. But because these were actually um, real DNS queries, the Dyn service didn't actually know that they they were wrong. But what ended up happening, I mean, as this story progressed over the next couple of days, and this was further into the weekend... Some companies were saying this was actually the work of those IoT devices like your home home cameras and, you know, Internet of Things devices you got lying around your home. And a few people were specifically blaming Chinese-made devices because they had default passwords that nobody had changed.
0: Well, you know, that's a common threat vector is – I mean, because you think about it, right? Say a webcam or a router or something you buy from Dixon's or Curry's. That you just plug into the wall and turn on, and it does one thing. You know, uh, uh, even some of these um, power switches, Wemo and uh, Philips Hue. The, these are computers yeah. with IP addresses and. Crucially, firmware that doesn't change much. That means that invariably based on some variant of Linux, which could have been very old and could have a very old vulnerability in it, once the the bad actor gets access to it, these things are open to potential exploitation. Now, they're never going to have a massive amount of power, but once they get inside their house, inside your house... Um, they can do a lot of damage. And also, you know, legions, nest thermostats, you know. I'm not saying there are any vulnerabilities with nest thermostats. I'm just saying that, you know, there could be millions of them out there that that could be used, as you said, James, for these denial-of-service attacks by all acting at a certain time and in a certain way. But my question, James, is why do it? Why did they want to take the Internet down on Friday i don't know you know to, to i mean what purpose what were they trying to hide from plain sight was there something going on somewhere else which meant that they had to do it you know were they trying to rob a bank i i don't know
1: mm. no I, I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that that question but or was it fur- just a
0: bit of fun well who
1: knows i mean there's a further twist though to this story which is the chinese government has defended its own product firms saying that it will, it will it is threatening legal action against organizations and individuals making false claims about the security of Chinese-made devices. But what I would say is, do you remember, cast your mind back 10 years ago or so, when you bought a home router, it came with a default password and you were encouraged to change it. Now what happens when you buy home routers is they've all got randomly assigned passwords and you get a little card in the box that tells you what your your password is and whatever else and all that all the kind of external facing remote access tools are turned off by default i think and this is going to be impossible to manage but i'll throw it out there anyway maybe there should be some kind of as part of say fcc um checks or the ec checks why can't um why can't they have security certifications that go with it because if a camera has got a default password, it's clearly going to be insecure because what the Chinese government is doing is blaming customers for not changing their passwords. But hang on a minute. Most people who buy these products are not te- technically focused. They don't no. know
0: to do that. So I think the problem is with firmware updates. now. No, no, I think the problem is with the manufacturers. They should put random passwords in when they... Well, that would help. Yeah, well, that, no, that would stop help. it automatically altogether. Well, uh, yes and no. Um, you know, just because you've got a password doesn't mean that you're safe. You know, it depends what ports are open, whether you can SSH in or FTP in. There are all sorts of things there. That- oh, sure, but if it's all behind a password,
1: an FTP, SSH or whatever, if it's all behind a password... um that, okay, I'll give I'll give you i an example. Well, the
0: most um, secure, James. Of course, the most secure devices are devices which do not offer username and password. They are certificate based. So, username and password is not offered as an option to authenticate to the device. You need a certificate to do it, um, and you know, or second factor, or but you see the problem is the reason why we have passwords. Everybody, of course, is because it's a convenient way for us to access our devices. Um, and there 's always that battle between security and ease of use and and how often you know if you buy you know i've got i 'm looking in front of me i 've got a an eight port um, ethernet hub H- How often do I need to access that device get onto the firmware never I plug it in, I use it when it stops working i throw it away no no sure, but that 's different though to say a camera that needs to
1: stream out so just to give you an example yeah. uh, i 've got a nest. Um, In fact, we've got two Nest smoke alarms in the house. And the way you set those up is you've got a smartphone app that takes a picture of a QR code on the back of the device and then it kind of figures itself out. And that QR code is basically a series of passwords and randomly generated strings that differ from device to device to device. So what they're doing is they are using unique forms of identification to reduce the threat vector by using generic passwords, for example, but they're adding the convenience of the mobile app, which makes it easy for the user. So the only way you can set it up is by using the app, and, hey, they've found a way of exchanging the keys or whatever it is without um, anyone needing to type anything in. Nest have clearly thought about that.
0: Yeah, but Nest devices are premium devices that are sold to the kind of people that are comfortable using smartphones. And maybe the FCC
1: and EC... When they 're doing the certification, they need to start looking at this kind of stuff to pass the device because um you know you wouldn't accept it from your home router now, would you? No, and um look, the world has changed, and maybe that's that's what we need to do you can 't put the burden on the users because they 're idiots
0: well, we are all idiots in one way or or another um, and i would say when it comes to calling a tech on this i don't know why the internet went down and i am aware that there are security potential security flaws in internet of things devices but i don't think there's anything to call james
1: no unfortunately i think this is just a reality of the modern world we live in
0: and it's a sad indictment let me bring some joy though to your life james and tell you about Clout's Joe Fernandez, his latest project, Joy Mode. Now, this is reported in TechCrunch on the 21st of October. Anthony Ha. Thank you, Anthony. Now, Joy Mode is a startup for people who want to do fun things, as it says here, like host a um, backyard movie night or go on a camping trip, but don't want to buy all the requisite equipment, especially if they're only going to do it once. So membership costs $99 a year, which gets you into the club, and then you pay rental on the equipment. Presumably the $99 is a bit like uh, Amazon Prime. It gives you the shipping, um, and then you actually pay on the rental uh, of whatever it is. Now, what what would you use this for? I don't know. I mean, I, I do, I do, um, I can Here's certainly... Here's one that it's called Get Your Grill On. You yeah, do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of times that well it's very few, but the wife and I have gone camping, and we've had to buy loads of stuff and This is one of the things that um, that they say in this article so yeah i think I think
0: that's quite interesting actually here's a good one uh, cleaning supplies or an overnight kit of sheets and towels when someone's visiting that 's fun
1: well, that's really interesting
0: but for more practical, perhaps less less sort of let's go camping. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, Now what it says here is that customers can use the app to view video instructions on how to use each item, uh, so they're getting actual support in the equipment. Presumably they've got smart people to pick, you know, whatever camping pack is required. So there's some thought gone into it. Um, But it is a sharing economy play, isn't it, James? Um, You know, a bit like Airbnb and, uh, to a lesser extent, Uber.
1: It is, it is. Although I found what's really interesting is the services are only available in Los Angeles, but they use New York as the example for almost everything.
0: Well, I think the the uh, founders came from New York, so that's, that's perhaps where they had the um, first idea. Actually, it's not sharing economy, is it? Because the company themselves own the camping equipment and everything or whatever it is, and actually effectively it's a rental company.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got the website up here. There's a propane grill. It doesn't say how much it is, though. Um, it doesn't say it doesn't well, there's say. a
0: wonderful picture here of camp um, movie backyard movie night and there's sort of uh, some fold out wooden seats which don't look that comfortable actually, uh, a little table with a, an outdoor lantern, there's a string of light bulbs um, clearly a sort of temporary projection screen, presumably a projector tucked away somewhere as well um, I don't know whether the flowers and drinks and peanuts are part of the experience as well. Well, actually, kind of... actually,
1: no, it is. I'm looking here on the Backyard Movie Night package um, and you get a screen, a projector, speakers, a retro popcorn machine. That's clearly what you want. You need it. low chairs, blankets, more blankets, tables, an air couch. Now that's clearly happening. A fire pit, a folding table, a cotton candy machine. Wow. A frozen margarita maker, a professional photographer. What do you need that for? And <laughs> a joy mode boost. What's a joy mode boost? I do some kind of chocolate. Oh. A joy mode agent will reach out and make your reservation to coordinate delivery and pickup in more detail. I don't know. It sounds like a lot of effort.
0: Well, they did get $3 million in funding. Um, led by homebrew. Um, yeah, but to be fair, true. people people back winners though, don't they? I mean, if this guy had sold the
1: company before, he could have had any kind of brain fart and got money for it.
0: Clout was his company. That was a kind of aggregator of your social value, uh, which would monitor your Twitter feed and who's following you and how fabulous you were. The most ghastly thing possible, but it got a lot of traction, didn't it? A lot of people. There was a period of about six months, a few years ago, when everybody had it on their phone and looked up their clouts your clout score has gone up who cares get a life
1: yeah well i mean wow i mean lithium technologies bought it for 200 million dollars so um i'm guessing the founder did pretty well out of that
0: Call it James.
1: This is a massive tectasm.
0: It's massive.
1: It's, it's a nine
0: out of trend straining tectasm.
1: It is it's it's just <laughs> pulsating tectasm.
0: We will never see this in the UK. We're far too smart and far too reserved to yes, be honest. Definitely, definitely. Stuff. Well, can
1: we move on quickly? Please to Reuters. Um, Jessica Toonkel has been writing about, and you've probably heard this in the news, how AT&T, are, they call it a merger, but they're effectively going to buy Time Warner for $85 billion with a Ridiculous. B. Ridiculous. I mean, it's half cash, half stock, but interestingly enough, okay, AT&T only have $7 billion in cash on hand.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So, um...
0: Well, the markets must like it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um I mean they've already had 120 they already 120 billion dollars in debt so yeah everything's funded by debt James. Yeah, this is very true, very true. But basically what's what's happening is 5G is coming, okay, as we all know. I mean I know 4G is the big thing at the moment, but 5G is just around the corner. And effectively what AT&T is doing is looking up to shore up their customer base because A lot of people today are unhooking. They don't have cable TV subscriptions anymore. And although Time Warner has a great cable service, uh, that to one side, what it does have is great content. Because, of course, it's got HBO, it's got CNN, it's got TBS, it's got TNT. Plus, it's got the entire film franchise of Warner Brothers, including, you know, Harry
0: Potter and... harry potter yeah
1: harry potter and yeah and harry potter harry
0: potter 2 return of the potter that's it um
1: so um so but of course being election season donald trump has come out and said um it's too much concentration of power in the hands of too few which i have to say generally i would not like to listen to donald trump at all but i think he's got an interesting point here because at&t last year Bought DirecTV, which is a satellite TV provider in the US, for forty-eight and a half billion. So, what this is going to do is, if it goes through, and of course it's with the regulators at the moment, it's going to create a company that has your mobile phone, your TV, and loads and loads of content as well, all under the same the same brand.
0: Well, of course, Time Warner are quite you know they're not new to this. In two thousand. They merged with AOL, uh, which is now considered by most academics and universities to be one of the most ill-advised corporate mergers on record. Um, So they've got a history of this. And again, you're buying into the back catalogue. So so AT&T are bringing modernity and future-looking telecoms to an old catalogue uh, and, you know, a, a movie studio, which is increasingly being, you know, bec- is, is becoming a sort of ping-pong ball bouncing around the table of investment by tech companies. Everybody wants the content. They want the talent. I'm not sure that at and are as progressive as other companies. I'm not sure Time Warner are as progressive as other companies. Um, therefore, it could be ill-advised again. Uh, as for 5G, that sounds like a red herring to me. 5G as a technology merges 4G with Wi-Fi and ultra-wideband into one sort of seamless thing. It doesn't provide any magic new silver bullet for providing telly to a neighborhood, um, you know, from a, from a balloon or, or from a mast. Uh, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced that 5G uh, has got anything to do with this. Um, sure. looks like a tectasm to me. Yeah, well, it's interesting.
1: I mean, it's such a big deal. It's going to be ages before um, anything actually happens with this, because it's going to go through the regulators, and the U.S. is a little bit um, sidetracked, should we say, with the upcoming election, although that is only a few days away now, thankfully. So, um, yeah, tech-tasm. not Hey, come on. It's too big.
0: It's too big. And I'll tell you what else is too big. The Xiaomi 6.4-inch phone with edgeless display. So Xiaomi today, that's on uh, um, earlier today, um, very early in the morning, announced the Mi Mix, the world's first edges display phone, alongside the company's new Mi Note 2, uh, designed by French designer Philip Stark. The Mi Mix is a 6.4-inch device that features a 2048 by 1080, uh, 1080 pixel 17 by 9 aspect ratio, borderless display that takes up 91.3% of the front of the handset. Now the all-ceramic phone uses piezoelectric ceramic drivers for the earpiece Mm. and uses its metal frame to generate sound, interesting. Uh, Proximity sensor's been replaced by ultrasound, who cares? Uh, Both innovations are hidden under the display um it's powered by a snapdragon 821 which is the best processor available right now with four gigs of ram big 128 four gig. gig of ram oh, that's four gig this is
1: the one oh, wow and they've even got a six gig model that is incredible six
0: gig i don't know don't you have to have a 64-bit operating system to take advantage of six gigs of ram
1: yeah you do well you do to have four gig of ram
0: uh, no, I thought you could do four um, on thirty-two bit, couldn't you?
1: No, no. But what happens is the graphics card takes up some of it as well, ah. so you end up having three and a half or something.
0: Well, the rear camera is sixteen megapixels. We don't do. We're not interested in megapixels anymore, are we? Can do four K video. Yep. Uh, front camera is five megapixels. It's got a four thousand four hundred milliamp hour battery. That is gigantic with Qualcomm Quick Charge three support. Are you going to buy one, James?
1: No, of course not. No. But um, no, you know, surely. Um, so, hang on, Android has been sixty-four bit for ages. Surely, don't
0: call me Shirley. And it probably has. Yes. No, I just say that because iOS has been sixty-four bit for about three or four years. Oh, in that now. case, Android's been it for about four or five years. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So I can use it. I'll tell you the problem it's going to have. I've got. I know various people that have got the Samsung Galaxy S7 Edge. Uh, and the problem with that display is that your finger keeps accidentally working the thing because the display comes up to the edge. No, but that, that, that's but this is this is different. The Samsung
1: Edge, though, this display actually curves round. This doesn't. This is all on the front surface, so it's slightly different. Um, but this, okay, there's there's a bit of an ironic, and this is such a geeky thing to say. Philip Stark designed Steve Jobs' yacht. Before he passed away, and uh, so uh, I just find there's a slight, I don't know, irony or whatever, that he he was uh, affiliated with Apple and now he's designing Xiaomi. Well, Xiaomi devices.
0: is the Chinese Apple, isn't it? The I forget the guy's name, the head of Xiaomi even looks like yeah. Steve Jobs. Ie, he wears the roll neck, turtleneck jumper and says one more thing at the end of his presentations and pulls something out of his jeans pocket. Um, This is a big phone, 6.4-inch phone. Even bezel-less is pretty big. Um, It's going to be a uh, curiosity. As, again, the problem with the edge is that there are some functions which require you uh, on Android to swipe in from the edge. Um, And getting your your thumb on the edge, you've got a case on that thing, that's going to be a bit fiddly. Um I some people will buy it. I know they love big screens in China, don't they? But uh, Yeah,
1: they do. They really do. It's I mean, not I'm for me. At it on,
0: on the website's really quite do interesting. Do you think the iPhone 8 will go bezel-less?
1: Um I don't know. And The rumors are all over the place at the moment for the iPhone 8. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows um, indeed.
0: I oh, I think this will catch on and have a significant niche. Um, well,
1: Xiaomi are doing incredible in China, so um and they have now started Based on our conversation about Google several episodes ago, they've now been moving into uh, into here. So
0: yeah, well, it's interesting. Good, well, well done, Jeremy, for listening to us.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. So we got Clearly, anything else, up. James? Yeah, just
0: really, really quickly. Uh, BBC
1: actually, Zoe Kleinman So, BBC not nameless journalist. No oh, well done, Zoe. Yeah, well done, Zoe, for being good enough at your job to get your name on the story. Um, smartwatch sales. Um, sharp decline they've declined 51.6 percent year on year according to a new report by IDC Um, I mean interestingly enough the Apple Watch is the market leader but they only shipped a million units in the third quarter I thought that I'm a firm believer in wearable tech as you know I thought that the smartwatch would be an interesting
0: taste it into it but it seems it's just not biting well i think it has bitten that's the problem people who were interested in smart watches bought one they bought a, a an apple watch or they bought a, an android wear watch or even the pebble or any of the other uh, various wearable devices nike or microsoft or whatever it was um, and i think they bought them and they haven't broken um, because you know Watch operating systems have got to be quite reliable. Uh, They don't really do much, and therefore the upgrade cycle isn't that important. Uh, So I think that, you know, I I think this market will bump along uh, and has found its natural level. Uh,
1: It's a shame. I mean, I have to agree with you, though. I mean, I've got an Apple Watch 1. I'm aware of the 2, but I'm perfectly happy with my 1. I don't feel the need to want to get a 2, you know, because... I don't see what it could do any different. It tells the time and it's got my notifications on it. And that's what I use it for, notifications.
0: Well, that's right. And of course, you know, when it comes to um, functionality, there's only so much you can do on a tiny screen. And they pretty much hit it out of the park, functionality-wise, when these first slew of uh, devices launched. You know, the ability to do notifications, simple replies... Uh, fitness tracking with a heart rate monitor, you know there were a range of devices that could do that from the get go and things haven 't really changed not like a, not like a um, a phone where they can do all sorts of other things like n f c sensors accelerometers barometers um, yeah. edge. that sort of thing Uh, I suppose the challenge for watches is that kind of evolution to a thinner lighter um, device that lasts longer on battery uh, and that will require some changes to physics and chemistry to occur before it makes a leap forward Uh, so I I suspect a new technology be it battery or screen technology will emerge which will allow smartwatches to suddenly get smaller and better Uh, And that will perhaps stimulate more demand. But at the moment, um, uh, you know, I I think it's, I I kind of predicted this is where it would be. I got the first smart watch, uh, Android Wear one when it came out, used it for two weeks, and I knew it wasn't going to change my life. Was that the Moto? It was the LG G Watch, actually, or Gwatch, as I called it. And uh, it was great. That
1: didn't catch on.
0: (laughs) it didn't it's not very attractive uh, device um, but it's caught on you know with a certain especially fitness trackers you know like heart rate monitors
1: i think the niche devices are really good and like the fitbits and whatever they'll they clearly are doing very well i think just the all singing or dancing smartwatch i think they just haven't found their
0: so a failure by apple standards a success by everybody else's That's all we've got time for, James, this week. Listeners, you can find us at facebook.com slash techtasm. Subscribe in the usual places or contact us at feedback at techtasm.com. We record on every Tuesday at 2100 BST GMT like this week. So watch out for next week. See if we can do two on the bounce. In the meantime, this is me, Sir Robin Yellow. And me, James Wood, Asking the question on your behalf. Is it real or is it just a techtasm?